So let's begin today by asking ourselves some really important questions. For example, where do I stand? What do I believe? What am I willing to do because of my beliefs? What is the painful truth about me? Do I stand with the strong against the weak? Whose side am I on anyway? Because in the end, it's all about where you stand. Because where you stand says a great deal about what you truly believe, doesn't it? I'm reading today a couple of uh, scriptures from the Gospel of John. Some of these verses are from John chapter 8, and some of them are also from John chapter 11. At dawn, Jesus appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down, and he started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down, and he wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and he asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. And then from John chapter 11. Therefore many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing? they asked. Here is this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. Then one of them named Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than the whole nation perish. He did not say this on his own accord, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation, and not only for the nation, but also for the scattered children of God, to bring them together and make them one. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, depending on when you're listening to this message today, Holy Week 
is possibly just a couple weeks away. Holy Week is a special, sacred, and often a quiet, contemplative time. It's certainly a quiet, contemplative time for me. For many who follow Jesus, Holy Week is a time to accompany Him. It's a time to walk with Him. It's a time to walk beside Him, to possibly to possibly even relive his experiences, to relive, to relive those experiences with him as one of his trusted, trusted disciples. That is, until it turns ugly. Yeah, that's when I find out exactly where I stand. When it turns ugly is when I find out exactly how far I'm willing to go to follow Jesus. Well, I followed Jesus during a recent prayer time, journeying through a time in his life when I'm convinced he knew his mission on planet Earth was about to be completed. The Gospel of Luke says Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem as he dug in and as he bared down with his eyes on the prize. The prize, of of course, was self-sacrifice followed by a glorious resurrection, all to accomplish God's saving action for all who would believe in him. But today's readings from John's Gospel account of the same story of Jesus, actually, these readings have Jesus going through his miracle business from town to town, turning upside down the status quo, saying to the world all around him, quote, and this is my quote, Jesus didn't actually say this, so this is my understanding and my take of the way he was living his life, especially in the Gospel of John. You're either going to love me or you're going to hate me so much you're going to want to kill me for what I'm about to do. You know what? Either way you slice it, it always comes down to where you stand. As I was thinking that morning, I was kind of walking through that holy week through my mind's eye. I was trying to imagine being in the the shoes and the the sandals and the robe of one of the disciples, and I, I just jotted down some thoughts that came to me that I may have thought of as one of his first disciples. So let me share these with you. I'm going to go kind of quickly. Again, you can always hit rewind and go back over this. The coming of Elijah. You know, we were promised the coming of Elijah a long time ago, but already? Are you sure? Is this Jesus guy, kind of Elijah, coming back to life? And what about all the miracles and the secrets all around that just seem to surround him? Uncertainty and excitement, hope and fear. Whenever I'm around Jesus, it seems like all of these deep emotions are palpable. You can almost reach out and touch them. And then water turning into wine at the request of his mother. And why is it that some people are healed and others are not healed? One thing's for sure. Whenever I've been around Jesus, there's always a lot of sage advice coming from him. And what's this I hear about Pax Romana, the Roman the Roman peace? Yeah, the Roman time of, of, of stability, the Roman time of, of, of good things. I think it really depends on who you are, doesn't it? Yeah, Pax Romana, 
Good times, but for who? And who's included and who's excluded? Caesar's still in charge. Regardless of what's been going on, Caesar is still in charge. But isn't Jesus going to do something? Well, I suppose you could say he has something, done something. He certainly brought Lazarus back to life. And then there was this really strange, really strange entry on a donkey into Jerusalem that day. It's obvious. Somebody in the government, somebody in the political, and even in the religious world, somebody's strained, somebody is afraid of something. With all the soldiers gathering around with their, their armor and their swords, ready to keep the peace. And the Pharisees? What were the Pharisees doing? What were they doing rejecting Jesus? Some say they were just protecting their pensions. And then there's the fearless, foolish attitude of Jesus as he stormed into town and stormed into the temple and he released all the animals. Some say that he let the scapegoats go free. And then there was that odd upper room meeting with just his closest friends. I was there. And then, what was he doing? We were celebrating the meal, remembering the the exodus, remembering our forefathers and our foremothers going through and across the Red Sea and through the Sinai Peninsula and the angel of death passing over them, the Passover meal. What on earth was he doing when he raised the cup of salvation? Yeah, Jesus changed that meal. Some have said to me, kind of privately you might say, what's he talking about now that he's talking about leaving and going to prepare a place for us? Is he just going to take off and leave us holding the bag? There was the time we got together and went to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. Praying in an olive garden near an olive press? What was going on with that? Somebody's afraid of something. Our religious leaders are governmental leaders. The people in charge are obviously afraid of Jesus and what he's about to do. And then during that prayer time, Judas showed up. And then there was that nasty sword that Simeon mentioned. Remember the sword Simeon talked about? The sword that was going to pierce Mary's heart? Yeah, that sword showed up all right. Cut off a man's ear. And then Jesus, our leader, possibly Elijah reborn, Some say even Moses may have come back. Teacher of the law. But he spent way more time loving the forgotten. And then he died a criminal's death. Drawing the line was exactly what people did and what people still do today. They draw the line and then they decide where they're going to stand and which side of that line they're going to stand on. Oh, what did we get ourselves into? I know I counted myself among 
the men that night that totally deserted Jesus. Who was he deserted by? Well, he was deserted by me. So now what? What do we do now? Where do we go? Do I take a stand with the strong against the weak? So what is the painful truth about me? Well, if you want an exercise in really paying attention to where you stand, I invite you to mask up safely and go shopping in person, which is what I did recently. I was cooking a special lunch over the weekend, and I went to Sprouts, and I followed all the the guidelines, and I can remember standing there six to eight feet apart on those little red squares waiting for my turn. Why did I decide to do that? Why did I decide to follow the rules? And then, a couple days later, since we're working on sprucing up things around the church, I went to Home Depot. Again, I got one of those big steel carts, went into the store, and I followed the guidelines. And I stood on the squares. And I kept my distance. And I wore my masks. I may not have thought about it, but I was making a conscious choice about where I was standing. Then, of course, there is the migrant situation right here in Yuma, Summerton, and San Luis, which I believe is a painful yet a perfect example of people both taking a stand and possibly drawing the line about where they stand on what some believe to be a mission of mercy, caring for the migrants, while others maintain that Our migrant friends are actually illegal aliens who are clearly trespassing. Well, there's a powerful story about this, my friends, in Bread and Wine, Readings for Lent and Easter, and it's written by Barbara Brown Taylor, and the I'm just going to give you sort of an excerpt from that writing. Barbara Brown Taylor writes this, There are many ways to tell the story of what happened on Good Friday. According to John, it involved a collusion between religion and politics. While Pilate and the chief priests conspired to solve their mutual problem while managing to remain enemies, Jesus stood at the center of the stage like a mirror in which all those around him saw themselves clearly for who they were. One way, one way we Christians have avoided seeing our own reflections in the mirror is to pretend that this story is actually about Romans and Jews. As long as they remain the villains, we're off the hook, or so we think. Unfortunately, this is not a story that happened long ago in a land far away. This is a story that can happen anywhere and at any time. And we are likely to be the perpetrators rather than the victims. I doubt that many of us will end up playing Annas, Caiaphas, or Pilate, however. They may have been the ones to give Jesus the death sentence, but a large part of him had already died before they ever got to him. The part Judas killed off, then Peter, then all those who fled. Those are the roles with our names on them, not the enemies, but the friends. So where do you stand?
Do you stand with the strong against the weak? Because where you stand says a lot about what you believe and what you're willing to do. Finally, as we bring to a close this message this week about where we stand, I invite you to join me as we reflect on a beautiful piece of poetry that reminds me, and I think it will remind you, just how intimately God knows us. This is from Psalm 139. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God, how vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake, and I am still with you. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way of everlasting life. In the end, it's all about where you stand.